You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Dansby Swanson. Player out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzy Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for it inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road the Number Two Atlanta. Now hit the road with your hosts. Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com, where I've been since 2015, talking about the minor leagues uh, and some major leagues more recently as well, but my heart and soul has always been with the minor leagues and to join me this evening are two of the guys who have been with me for uh, really the vast majority of that journey uh, covering the minor leagues, uh, Gaurav Vidak and Matt Powers. Gaurav, how are you, my friend? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing well. Matt, you doing okay, buddy? I am, especially now that we're under 30 days left before the draft. Yeah, this is kind of uh, one of the, Matt's favorite times of the year. Uh, he, uh, th- We're kind of in full draft mode right now. Uh, partially because we're not really to the point where we're going to see a ton of uh, roster movement in terms of the minor leagues. It, we saw a few early, early season moves as just kind of like some adjusting of like where guys needed to be assigned, but we don't really expect to hear a ton more about promotions for at least a little while. And more importantly, the draft is going to be coming up first week of June or, you know, basically the, the end of the first week of June is probably the best way to put that. And so right now we're in the process of doing a lot of information collecting, you know, researching. Uh, Matt's been making the rounds, watching players. We're All of us are trying to get a handle as to kind of who should be available uh, since the Braves have two first-round picks this year at 9 and 21. Uh, really interesting draft, especially, and it's going to be a particularly important one for the Braves because we don't expect them to be picking particularly high going forward. Uh, they may not be picking at the very bottom of the first round, but they might be picking kind of, you know, later in the round, the draft where you have to kind of let the draft come to you versus now where they can actually get one, at least one, one of the top talents in the draft in this one. So we've been doing a lot of work on that end. Um, if you're listening to this episode and you've read, read the title, it's obviously you're going to be more interested in the second part of this episode. We're going, we're going to be interviewing Jim Callis from uh, MLB.com, MLB Pipeline. You know, he's been around forever. He was at Baseball America for a while, and he's been at Pipeline for some time. You know, all the MLB network coverage of prospects and the draft, Jim's been at the forefront of that. It's going to be a really good time talking to Jim, both about some Braves prospects as well as kind of what's going to be to expect from the upcoming draft. Uh, I will not fault you if you wish to skip ahead to the, the to the interview, um, but we do have a, we do want to give you guys a quick update as to what's going on in the minor leagues. And to start us off, Gravidek, let's talk about Austin Riley and what this man's doing to the baseballs in AAA. Let's do it, man. Uh, there might not be a hotter player in, in all of minor league baseball. Austin Riley is just straight up killing the ball right now. In his last ten games, he's got a one point seven five 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 six OPS, and like. I want to say like 25 home runs in that span, some somewhere on the, along those lines. Like the man is just hitting off the the cover off the ball. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's three multi home run games actually in his past ten games or past eight games. Uh, to be even more exact, like I I don't understand. It's crazy. It's awesome. Uh, he's doing extremely like he's driving the ball everywhere. I think opposite field 30 percent of the time as well. Like. He is doing everything you want him to do this year. He's he's walking at an elite clip at almost 11% of the time. He's striking out only 20%, which is a career low for him. He's driving the ball. 
I can't, I can't get over him right now. Like he's forcing himself into a discussion on like how to get him in the majors faster. And right, you know, they, they played him in left field for the first time last year, just trying to find ways to get him into Atlanta. It's, it's exciting when a prospect is just mashing to the tune of, Hey, what can we do to get this guy onto the big league team? And that's exactly what Austin Riley is doing. Even considering, like, I think today he went 0 for 4 with like three strikeout, maybe not three strikeouts, but he went 0 for 4. Like, who cares? It was a 10 a.m. game and he hit two homers the previous game. Like, he is hotter than anyone I've ever seen. Not maybe not ever seen, but he's hot. He's really hot right now. I don't know where I'm going with that, but he's, he's really hot right now. Yeah. I think the thing that is making me the happiest is the strikeout rate. In his last 10 games, he only has nine strikeouts. And that's with like three games with like multi, multiple strikeouts. He's going to have, be a guy that is going to have some swing and miss. He's just a guy that's going to, that's just going to be a part of his game. A lot of power hitters that, that exist in this day and age, there's just going to be some swing and miss because they're really, they're trying to drive the ball and there's going to be some times where they get fooled and they're not going to be trying, being able to adjust the middle of the zone to, you know, you know, just make, make some weak contact just to fight off a pitch uh, late, uh, deep in account, but only nine strikeouts in his last 10 games. He's gone wild. I think it's, it's because of that 10 a.m. today. It's only, it's three multi home run games in his last nine, not his last 10, but be basically the same thing. It's, That's it's crazy. He, 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 yeah, he's been insane and. The quality, like, a lot I, of quality of bats too. A lot of people are going to say something along the lines, you know, whenever a prospect is performing this well, you, you try and find ways or reasons as to why they're doing it well. And like one of the first ones that always comes up is their BABIP, right? But on the season, it's still 321 and he always is over the, pretty much always over the, the 300 mark when it comes to BABIP. So, like that's not even a good indicator. It's not like a hot streak. He's just performing at a very elite level right now, and that's the only way for me to really describe it. Yeah, now, there was an article that came out in Baseball America, I believe, uh, this past week, where it talked about like some swing adjustments that he made about getting his bat to the zone quicker and some adjustments he made with his hands. And we've had this discussion about you know what his bat speed really is, and I think we all agree that. The, the swing is a little long at times, has been, in the past has been a little long at times, but it wasn't a bat speed problem. It was more like a timing problem and like kind of getting his hands on time. And it seems like he's made a real adjustment. And if you watch him playing right now, like you can see the difference, like in that all, like these, whether it be more elite of velocity or just kind of whether or not he's fooled on a pitch that's inside, he's getting his bat to, he's getting his bat and more importantly, the barrel to the ball more consistently. Is he still going to miss sometimes? Sure. That's just going to be a thing that's happened, but he's making these adjustments and every year he's been in the minor leagues as other organizations and other, and more advanced pitching has adjusted to him. He has always adjusted and like performed well after the fact. And that's something that I really admire as a kid or I guess a man now, really, he's not, he's not really a kid anymore. He's not the like 17 year, 18 year old that when he was drafted when we first started covering him, but now he's just a guy that just, he always adjusts. He works really hard. What, remember when Rome, whenever was saying we don't think he's going to be able to stick at third base. And now he's saying, they're saying he's a plus defender. You know, people were saying that, you know, he was going to strike out too much. It's like he's, he, every time there's someone that doubts him or there's a, a hole that opens up in his game, which is just a thing that happens in player development. He, he has made the adjustment to make it work. I just want to throw this Not out to mention, there. Oh, the, oh, last, the last guy that I can really remember in baseball, and he's not a Brave, that was a third baseman that had all these flaws that just seemed to correct them, was not very good defensively, became a very, very strong defender, had some questions about his hit tool, and has ended up hitting very well, Nolan Arenado. Oh Lord, I hope so, man. I mean, like, look, we are not predicting he will be Arenado. Let's just go but, ahead and get that no, out there. I mean, Arenado is also yeah. helped by the fact he plays at Coors, but <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's a great player. I'm not trying to take anything go. away. The numbers are definitely slightly inflated, just like any Rockies player at any point. But they do have some similarities in them, in that they just keep on being told they can't do something and finding a way to not only do it, but excel in that area. And like you said, Eric, like he can face adversity and then he will make an adjustment and then like perform. Right. And it's not even that like he just produces at the same level after making that adjustment. He actually gets better 
and it's like he's constantly evolving who he is and constantly trying to find ways to improve and it shows you can just bring up his his uh like his fan graphs page and it shows improvement in every single aspect you want to see every year like it's incredible i i honestly don't know where his potential lay, lays now because it's just he's a he's an ever evolving player it's really cool to have something like this yeah, it's awesome. It's been awesome to watch, and you know he's some he's someone that's intrigued us since his days in rookie ball when he like hit all those home runs and you know had like I think like one like one of those stops he had like a forty percent strikeout rate or something like that. Uh, but we're still like, hey, he hit thirteen home runs. I'm interested. Let's you know let's let's talk about it. Uh, who else do you want to talk about, Rob? Before we move on to Matt. I mean, if if Austin Riley is the hottest player, then like. 1A would be Drew Waters, and then, like, 1B would be Christian Pache. They're all pretty much mashing the ball right now. But Drew Waters, you know, I, I thought it, it was a pretty aggressive uh, placement assignment for him when he started off in Mississippi. I was a little worried, you know, he can get into his head when he plays sometimes. You could just see his frustration build during the course of a game if it's just not going his way. So I thought maybe the the placement in double a would be a little too aggressive he might get into his head after he comes into some adversity but i don't know if we will see that because he's just not facing any while he's in mississippi uh the walk rate is a little is a little iffy but again he's 20 years old and that's just that's just going to happen you know he's he's out there trying to prove himself against uh honestly like not not better talent but more advanced talent than what he should be and over the last 10 games so 1.167 ops uh he's barreling the ball like crazy he's using his speed to turn you know singles into extra base hits he's a little less aggressive on the base pads than normal and i would like to see that go up just because after he got promoted to to Florida last year, I think he only attempted like three. Uh, I mean, he, well, he has three stolen bases. I'm not sure how many he attempted, but then like he's only he only had two so far this season. I would like to see that happen a little more, just because he's got that pure like that crazy dynamic speed. Um, but maybe he just doesn't feel like he needs to because <laughs> I, I don't know because he's insanely hot right now and. A sub-30 strikeout rate for him in Mississippi is extremely surprising to me, and I, I love it. Like He's making me very happy about my very aggressive ranking of him early on in his career. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely looking good right now. Uh, also, if you haven't watched it, uh, his walk-off uh, home run the other night uh, to give the, the give Mississippi the win was uh, – it was funny because Pache had like rec- like homered earlier on in that game and it just felt like like drew's like well i just can't have that so and then final at bat you know two run homer mississippi Rays when that was totally cool um matt who have you got for this week do you sorry real quick do you think that there's like a little perceived competition between the two like they both know that they're kind of hot you know hot shit sorry if that language is uh, pg-13 we're fine we're fine just, okay i'm sure they realize they have some how can you not? Yeah, right? Like, they probably have expectations going into each game, and they I, I would assume a little competition. I would love to actually find out if they do have, like, an everyday competition type thing, because that would just be really neat. So, I mean, like, it's it's almost impossible for that not to be the case, because not only, like, the, the, they're pretty set in the lineup right now with Waters at leadoff and Pache in, uh, hitting second, but, like, every start they alternate who plays center. You know what I mean? Like, it's like the, the, I'm sure they're looking at their lineup card, like, making sure that they, you know, they know who's getting the time in center and who's getting the time in right. And it, I mean, I'm sure it's more, I'm sure it's friendly just because, like, my interactions with Drew were like, and both Pache were both like, they're super nice guys. And, you know, they, they understand that, you know, they're professionals and they have their own personal aspirations, but, you know, they, they also seem like really good guys in terms of teammates. Everyone seems to really love them. And like, I don't think there's any, like, I don't think they're all like, you know, like, I need to do better than the other guys so that way I can get my shot. But I do think that there would probably be some a friendly rivalry, uh, and I also think that in terms of like pure competitiveness, just like wanting to show out, like Drew Waters is really high up there. Um, Pache is a more of a, a more I think a more of a laid back personality, not in, and not in a bad way at all. Uh, I just don't think he would get caught up too much in it. But I'm sure Drew's like, well, I'm just gonna have to make sure that you know if if Pache is doing this, then 
you know, I'm going to make sure I'm at least holding my own too. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch both those guys. All right, Matt, who have you got? So the first guy that I wanted to talk about is actually a guy that I'm going to be talking about tomorrow in an article, Trey Harris. I mean, all this guy is doing right now is just hitting. He's been hitting a ridiculous 376 on the year at this point. He's hitting for some power. I mean, he's only got four home runs, but three of them are actually in his last 10 games among his, what, 14 or 15 extra base hits on the year at this point. I mean, that 376 average on the year in the last 10 games, it's 375. So this guy not only won the player of the month for Rome in the month of April, but he's actually managed to hit at the exact same batting average that he did for that entire first month in the last 10 games. So he has not slowed down at all. Considering we're talking about a guy who's already 23 years old, signed as a college senior, it's just a matter of time before he ends up getting promoted to the next level, which would be Florida for him, because he doesn't really have much more left to prove at Rome. He's just too good for that level at this point. Yeah, really great hitter. I actually like what, like watching him a lot at the plate. Uh, in the field, it's I would say in the outfield, it's a little bit adventurous at times. But we saw him make a really good play uh, when we were watching him in Rome. Uh, it was a diving, it was a diving play, and he made a good throw into the into the infield too. So it's not like I don't think he could ever make you know make it as an outfielder. Uh, but at the plate, I mean, I, I really want to see him more against more advanced pitching, just because you know right right now it just seems like he's a man amongst boys down there. Um, he is older, so it's kind of, you know, temper your expectations with, like, small sample sizes against, you know, younger competition. But overall, I was really happy with him. Uh, anyone else you want to talk about before we move on? Yeah, I just want to throw this out there, too. The defense, I think it's a work in progress, but he's definitely shown signs that he has the ability to grow to a very strong defender in the outfield with some work. But you have to remember, he played a lot of second base in college, too. So there is some adjustment for him to learn how to make reads and routes to the ball before he really grows into becoming a consistent defender instead of a guy who just has to rely on his athleticism to make some plays, which is what he's doing right now. But I definitely see potential for more. And the other guy is a guy who's basically broken out this year, Travis Demerit. I mean, this is a guy who, when he came over in 2016 in the uh, trade, was hitting the ball fairly well. I mean... What was he at? Maybe a 900 OPS before he came over. He had, uh, I want to say it was an 850, 860 OPS in the Brave system in high A at that point. And then he came over in 2017, started the year, his first full year in the Brave system and started in double A for the very first time. This is a guy who then repeated double A in 2018. I mean, it's hard to forget that it's sometimes easy to forget that he was actually in the Futures game not that long ago. But after back-to-back years in AA where he had a 306 and 316 on base percentage and his slugging was barely over 400 each year at 402 and 416, despite the fact that the second year he was repeating the level, he was kind of forgotten about to the point where he was falling off of top 30 prospect lists as a guy who might have just reached his peak already and maybe had a chance to be a bench player because he wasn't really maximizing his talent. But then this year, he's hitting 296 with a 391 on base, and he's slugging 520. I mean, outside of what he did in the California League when he slugged nearly 600, that's the best slugging percentage of his career. And outside of what he did in the Arizona League, when he was first drafted back in um, what was that, 2013, this is definitely the best on-base percentage he's had in his career easily. He's striking out less. I think his strikeout rate is about 30%. I want to say he's striking out 29 or 30 times in 100 at-bats at this point to go with his four homers in that 100 at-bats. Uh, he's walking quite a bit. He's got about 14 or 15 walks in that 100 or so at-bats at this point going into tonight. So he's walking, he's hitting for power, he's striking out less, he's getting on base. He's re-emerging on prospect lists at this point. Yeah, one thing I love about Travis is that of 
of all the guys who I thought could benefit from the the new baseball in AAA, it would be Travis because I've never seen so many guy uh, a guy that has hit so many home runs, and this is even in the lower levels where they looked like they would be routine fly balls, but he puts so much spin on the ball when he hits it that it just continues to carry. But in places like Florida and Mississippi, that's not going to play as much just because like, you know, you're like hitting it into like this humid swamp air, uh, in these big, in these big, you know, these big ballparks that are very pitcher friendly and seeing him in AAA where like these balls are starting to carry some more and he's, you know, getting some extra base hits out of it. Really? Again, he's a guy that it's, Hard for me to understand what his role is in the future because I liked him a lot at second base as a defender, but he hasn't played there in a while. He didn't seem to like playing at third, as far as I'm aware, and he's been in the outfield more often in recent years. And maybe maybe that's just his role as kind of like a corner outfield guy uh, with with some upside. But I kind of like to see if maybe he can turn into kind of a utility piece because with his tool set, I mean, he's an ultra athletic, really good defender. I would like to see that he could like, you know, continue to play all these positions because that sort of versatility in terms of whether he's a trade piece or whether he's a guy that ends up making it onto the Braves major league roster, like being able to play in the infield and the outfield is a big deal. And especially if you're a good defender at those positions. So, uh, happy with that. I do want to mention, add a few other names before we move on to the interview with Jim. Um, Grob mentioned him briefly. Well, let's talk about what Christian Pache is doing this year. Aside from the fact he has a 906 OPS in double A, which I don't think any of us would have predicted he would have had through the first 30 games of the season. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing power out of him. He already has 15 extra base hits this year, which is, you know, a, a non-zero consideration. Uh, friendly reminder in 2017 in Rome, his grand total of extra base hits was 21, including zero home runs. We're seeing home runs out of him. We're seeing lots of doubles. Uh, he, he already has four triples this year. That's not going to be a sustainable pace. He's not going to hit like, you know, whatever, 16 or 20 of them this year. Um, but the thing that's really sticking out for me, the, the strikeout rate's still a little high, uh, and I would like to see that come down, but, he already has nine walks this year, which isn't like a crazy number in terms of like overall walks. You know, he's not being treated like, you know, he's Chris Bryan up there or anything like that. But he only had 20 walks last year. <laughs> and he's already on pace to double that amount. The idea that he can actually get his on base percentage into like a real, like, into like a really competitive spot, which is something that was the one of the big knocks on him, is that if you were to put him, you know, at higher levels right now, everyone thought he was going to have like a sub 300 OPS because the hit tool was a little bit iffy and he just doesn't draw walks. He has a really aggressive approach at the plate, but he seems like now that he's driving the ball more, there's a combination of, it looks like pitchers are kind of respecting the fact that they can't just, you know, groove fastballs down the middle to him because he can really make them pay. But also he's taking a better approach in his at bats too. There's still times where you see some ugly swings and, you know, he, when he gets fooled, it can look a little rough, but He's a guy that he's very coachable, and he's learning day by day as to kind of his approach as a hitter, how to how pitchers are are treating him, and it's really exciting to see kind of a guy with that much athleticism and raw ability uh, to doing well. Patrick Weigel, I mean, I wish we could see him stretched out a little bit more. He hasn't pitched more than three innings in an outing all year, but. Right now, with an ERA of two point one nine, and that includes you know a, a couple roughish outings. Um, hasn't allowed a walk in his last two outings. A lot to like from a guy coming back from from Tommy John surgery. Bat, oppos, opposing batters are hitting 156 against him, and I think the next time that we see someone from Gwinnett make a a real concerted effort, or I, I say slashes onto the Braves roster with for more than like three days. Uh, we see like Tukey and we see Kyle Wright and we see like Sean Newcomb. Like there's some shuffling happen, but I think one one of those guys kind of is locked into a spot up there. I could see Patrick being in line to move up if and only if that he starts stretching out and actually is actually pitching more innings per start just because I know he's been kind of like handcuffed to Jeremy Walker in his appearances. Like Patrick will per- pitch the first two or three innings and then Walker pitches for however long he can go. Uh, which is generally in like that five innings range or something like that, which is a good way to preserve a bullpen uh, when you only have to throw in two guys out there for seven or eight innings. But I want to see if whether or not he's going to get the time as a starter uh, rather than just kind of throwing him in these like two and three innings stints that they have been doing. But has been really good uh, as he's they're kind of been working him back in. Uh, and then the other trio of pitchers at, at Mississippi uh, have been varying degrees of good. 
Joey Wentz had a really bad outing uh, a few outs starts ago, but he also had a, like a, a no hitter that he was carrying into <laughs> carrying late into a game. And his last start, he looked pretty good. Uh, a few too many walks though. The only thing I'm concerned about with him is just his. Uh, the, not only just the walks, but also he's not doesn't seem to be missing bats consistently. Uh, and Kyle Mar- Muller's looked really really good, except for the fact that he's walked twenty uh, what twenty four batters in twenty six innings, uh, which includes a uh, a six walk outing in less than two innings, which was less than ideal. But again, a guy who's stuff that took a big jump over the uh, the previous um, his previous seasons, and you can start to see more velocity out of him. He was a guy that worked hard with the drive line program, uh, and that seems to be paying dividends. And Ian Anderson, I mean, he's struck out 37 batters in 29 innings. Uh, opposing batters are batting 181 against him this year. Still would like to see the walks come down. This seems to be a common, uh, well thing, not just only in the Braves organization in general, but this Mississippi's pitching staff seems to be giving up a fair bit of, uh, giving up a fair bit of walks, which I would like to see improve. But among all the guys, he, he's the guy that's been, you know, the best about kind of limiting that damage. And in his last outing, he went six innings and struck out 11 batters, which is a big deal. Um, before we get on to the interview with Jim, gentlemen, do we have anyone else we want to talk to or anything else you want to touch on? We, I mean, we can also, I think Alex Jackson definitely deserves a shout out because after what happened in Atlanta, he's done quite well since returning to Gwinnett and is hitting the ball at a pretty solid clip. I'm, I'm very happy for him. If he can end up playing, you know, he's done, he's done considerably well with his defensive changes. If he can have like a, a solid, average bat we gotta you know he might actually become something it's pretty cool yeah uh, i i wonder when that would happen because i mean again he's you know he's a perfectly respectable like you know 883 ops you know he's he's hitting some home runs the average is 262 it's not awesome but it's you know it's certainly workable so he's another guy that's like that's like that's that's like exactly where I expect him to sit, right? Like two sixty two, like two two fifty to, to two seventy five type average. You're just hoping like the the walk rate will will keep his OBP to like three twenty five, and then like a five hundred slugging percentage. Well, like four fifty, but like right around there. That's that's awesome out of a catcher. I love it. Yeah, I would like to see it over a longer sample size. He's only actually played in eleven games in Gwinnett, which is actually a little bit surprising now that I kind of look at it uh, in twenty nineteen. So, but again, has looked good. Uh, I, I wouldn't say he's like, you know, like, you know, pushing his way into the roster, particularly, especially with Flowers and McCann playing well, but. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, but at the same time, he, he seems more interesting than he did, I think, to start the season. Um, and with that said, you guys, I hope you guys enjoy the interview with, uh, Jim Callis, and we'll talk to you guys soon. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, now we are here with a guest that we haven't actually had on the road to Atlanta before. We've had some pretty high-profile uh, national prospect writers and you know guys who are really involved in like you know prospect evaluation, scouting, and things like that on the show. But we actually haven't had the pleasure of of having this particular gentleman. And uh, we've been working behind the scenes to kind of find some time for him. I feel bad that I've pestered him as much as I have, uh, given that this is draft season right now, and he's an incredibly busy man traveling all over and you know trying to get his own content going up. But we are joined this evening by MLB, MLB.com, MLB Pipeline's own Jim Callis. Jim, how are you, man? I'm glad to be here. And you, you haven't pestered me. I think I've been tough to pin down because, like, our top – 100 schedule got kind of rearranged, so I was trying to arrange it for a week. I think we were originally going to do this last week, and then our top 100 schedule got pushed back a week, and I was like, you know, it's actually literally the night I'm going to have to write my first mock draft, <laughs> so uh, why don't we push it back? So it's, uh, I will blame me and not you. I, I have not felt pestered. So, Well, I mean, I, look, you're, it's fine with you blaming me for pestering you. I'll I'm not going to stop if I'm just being <laughs> honest about it. But uh, it, it's been a, I know it's busy this time of year just because there's so much content going up on MLB Pipeline and kind of everyone's asking you guys questions all the time with between mailbags and just you know being bombarded on Twitter and you know and also having to do your job of having to generate the content itself. So we're really happy you were able to make the time for us. Um, 
the way this interview is just going to be is we're going to talk a little bit of Brave stuff, and then we're going to be talking about a lot of draft stuff because sure. it's it's only what we're less than a month away now, and that's kind of crazy to think about that you know we were kind of just getting cranked up for the season, and the draft is now upon us. Um, so first things first, Garav had a question for you uh, concerning a, a, a probably a name that you've heard a little bit about the, uh, the Brave system so far recently. Sure. Hey, Jim. Thanks. First of all, thanks so much for coming out and, and recording with us. It truly means a lot to have someone of your of your nature on our podcast. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Obviously, the hottest topic right now is, is has to be Austin Riley and what he's doing over in, in Gwinnett. Uh, where do you see him amongst like your your third baseman around uh, your third baseman pro- prospects around around the country? And like, could you imagine what he's like? Could you project what he's on like what he's doing right now? I, honestly, I didn't expect him to have like almost a sub twenty percent strikeout percentage while hitting the ball as well he as well as he has. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I, I will I will throw brief caution to the wind with all AAA stats. You, you I mean, I like Austin Riley. He's a very good prospect. But you look at the year he's having, you look at the year that, like, Jordan Alvarez is having, have, uh, having in the Astros system, and one thing to remember, they switched balls this year in AAA. They're using the, basically the billiard balls that they use at the big leagues this year. They're not using the minor league ball. And AAA power numbers are through the roof right now. I was actually looking at, we're, we're talking about, we're gonna move guys around our top 100. We kinda do like what we call market corrections every six weeks or so. And we were talking about Jordan Alvarez, and we're going to move him up a little bit. But I cautioned, I said, you know, like, if you look at the stats this year compared to last year, the isolated power is up, like, 30 or 40 points in both AAA leagues. And, and like, the home run totals are just insane at the AAA level. I I might be wrong. I want to say, well, I can't remember. I think the AAA home run totals might be higher than the Major League home run totals right now. And if they're not, they're close. But so the balls are different, and that's why you're seeing home run numbers through the roof. Now that said, Austin Riley is one of the best third base prospects in baseball, um, and you pointed out what actually is impressed. I mean, the 12 home runs in 33 games are impressive, and I think he hit a ball what like 492, 492 feet the other day. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and that said, while that is impressive, I've been more impressed by the strikeout rate as well. He's got it down around 20%. You know, he had a really nice year last year, but it was kind of the tail two years. He, he clobbered double A, and he was kind of okay in triple A. Um, so I've actually been, if it's possible to be less impressed by 12 home runs in 33 games, I've really been more impressed by the fact that he's making consistent contact than that the fact that the, the home run numbers are through the roof because it's funny. I, I, you know, I did the AAA National Championship game. I was kind of like the sideline reporter and third guy in the booth with George Grant and Jim Cott last year. And Jim Cott was looking at the minor league balls that they were using. He would be like, oh, I would love to use this ball because um, like, it, it was not anywhere near as hard. Like they, he actually on the broadcast, he had the two balls, and he was showing you how much harder the big league ball was than the minor league ball. And it was interesting because before this year, if you were rehabbing, if you were a rehabbing pitcher on a AAA assignment, you could choose which ball you wanted. And it was interesting, you know, Jim was talking about how it's interesting because talking to some big league pitchers, some guys would want to use the big league ball so they'd be, you know, that much more ready to use the big league ball again when they got back up. And other guys would want to use the minor league ball because they figured they'd be more impressive and might get recalled quicker. So anyway, Austin Riley, I think, is probably one of the top five third base prospects in baseball, top five or six. And that he'll actually move up because Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Nick Senzel will graduate pretty quick. Um but the, the the ball is is the major league ball is wreaking havoc in AAA this year. I did not. This was already pre-written ahead of time. I will say this. My next question is actually about the ball that's in AAA right now, uh, <laughs> uh, because that, that's been a big co- topic of conversation. It's not just you know being anecdotally mentioned. You know, Baseball America's been doing you know pieces on it, and it's it's easy to see the the power up. But and it's not just in one league. It's not just the Cal League where we've kind of seen. You know, some pretty, you know, crazy numbers come out in the past and you have to take things with a grain of salt. It's, you're seeing this l- big output of power at AAA right now because they're using these balls. And I just had a, it's like a kind of a two-part question. First, I've heard that the ball that's being used in AAA is actually slightly different from the, the major league ball, but it's definitely not the same one that's being used in the lower levels. I just wanted to know one, if that was true. And two, how do you gauge 
a guy's power tool right now in general, just because while it is a different ball and you'll see a jump in their performance like we're seeing with some guys, you know, Jordan Alvarez is a guy that you mentioned, you know, I mean, Austin Riley isn't even leading the international league in home runs right now. It's a prospect that I, I forget his name, but you know, I think he has 13 and, you know, he's a guy that hadn't hit like 13, I think he had 15 home runs all year last year. So how do you gauge a guy's power tool? Because while it's a different ball, it is going to be very similar to the ball they're going to be using in the major leagues, which does seem to be predictive in some ways. Yeah, it's, um, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be the same ball. Um, and you know, in Ty France, who's up in the big leagues right now, I mean, El Paso is a great place to hit. And Ty France was putting up just insane numbers in El Paso between the ballpark and the Western parks in the PCL are, are, are a lot of hitters parks and the ball. You just, I think, have to look at guys relative to the league. Now, well, what's nice is these guys in AAA, it's not like you're evaluating amateur players and you don't have, I mean, you have a ton of history on all these guys and you've seen these guys with the minor league ball in the past. Now, the flip side of that is, when they get to the big leagues, they're going to be using the big league ball too. So if, if Austin Riley is, is, you know, going off, you know, hitting the billiard ball that they're using in AAA now, you know, the good chance is that, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, the pitchers are going to be better, but like, you know, if he makes contact, he'll hit some 492 foot home runs in the big leagues too. So, um, I, I think it's, you know, everything's relative. You know, you, you watch guys in BP to see how it carries. And I think you just kind of mentally, like, I don't know how many feet, like, the average ball travels further. But I think you just kind of have to have in your mind that, you know, like, you know, the Baseball America article you referenced, I think home runs are up, like, 35% in, in April. Something um, like that. It's some insane number, yeah. And I, and I think there, and I think that's even more, that, that, that's actually a little bit light because I, if I'm reading their chart correctly, because I, I, I don't think they have it, they, they could get the data. That's based on last season as a whole. And obviously home run numbers are not as high in April as they are in the summer when it's warmer. So that, that's 35% up compared to last year. And just looking at the other leagues where nothing's changed, they're all down about 14 or 15%, you know, which I would attribute to the cold weather. So it just shows you how insane the triple A, I mean, the triple A numbers, Instead of, you know, the, like, according to this chart, the average AAA team, I think, is hitting 1.2 homers a game. If it was kind of similar, you know, the rates in the other leagues factored for April, it should be 0.8 homers per game. So, I mean, the numbers are up probably 50% over what you would have expected if they were just using the ball they used last year. So it's it's a little crazy right now. That's wild. All right. So we, there's been a bit of a debate, uh, both amongst us as well as just kind of across – Really, all of us who uh, evaluate prospects about two outfield prospects in the Brave system, and Groff has a question about them. Okay. Yeah, so so if Austin Riley is the hottest topic right now, tied for second has to be Drew Waters and Christian Pache. Uh, what have you been hearing about about how those two guys have progressed? And if you had to choose one, who would it be? Yeah, I mean, they've both been impressive. I mean, they I, I don't have the list in front of me, but they have to be two of the youngest players in the Southern League. You know, Pache was obviously there. You know, for part of last year too, so he, so he got some experience. Um, they've both been very impressive. If if I had to pick between them, I would take Pache. I, you know, it's interesting. Cause I think they're kind of similar. I think the difference to me is that Pache has kind of plus plus speed and arm strength and defense, and Drew Waters is more plus speed and arm and defense, and then offensively. I think Pache is going to wind up being more than a hit, hit over power guy, whereas Waters is going to be more balanced. Um, and so I, I just think Pache, you know, he could, he could really change. I mean, he's still learning to use his speed, but he's got game changing speed. He, he might be the best defensive outfielder in the minors. He's going to be a center fielder. Drew Waters is probably going to be a right fielder. Um, if I had to bet on who's going to have the better bat in the long run overall, you know, hit plus power, Drew Waters might get a slight edge, but I think it'll be close. I think Pache's other tools, while Waters are good, Pache's are really good, and then that's the difference for me. The other other thing that's been interesting about Drew Waters, and I do like him a lot. I talked to him in spring training, really confident. He's like, for a guy who's hitting 350, he's striking out a ton. I don't know if you, I mean, you guys probably seen this. You know, he struck, he has 38 strikeouts and seven walks, and I think he's hitting like 500 when he puts the ball in play. So like that, it's like kind of a, a weirdly and probably not sustainable performance like that. Um, like I, I would, I'd be more alarmed. He's striking out almost 30% of his plate appearances and he's still hitting 350. So it's kind of a weird 
year for him. Um, I, you know, I'm not, you know, given the Braves history of pro- promoting guys aggressively, I wasn't surprised they put him in double A and given like, you know, what they, they obviously know him better than I do, but just my sense for talking to him was like, this is not a guy who's going to be phased by jumping to double A. He, he's going to relish the challenge. So like, I don't think he's going to be scarred if he struggled, but I, you know, I think you could have made a case for maybe letting him tear up high class A for a month too, but it, I'll be, I'll be very curious because like, I don't think it's possible to hit 350 while striking out 30% of the time. Um, but he's done it for a month so far. Yeah, we actually, we, we thought that it was possible that we, I mean, Pache was going to, probably always be a double a um we just didn't see like a, a world where triple a was going to happen drew was a little bit just because we thought that since they were both going to get time in center in the minor leagues we weren't 100 percent sure how that would work with both of them on the roster but we also kind of thought that they were going to struggle for the first couple months just because they're both guys i mean it's not like we haven't seen both these guys have problems with strikeouts and like you know making contact consistently and they're being, they're both doing it in different ways, but they're being, they're both hitting really well. And it's kind of hard to gauge exactly what's going on. I mean, the Babip stuff for Drew Waters is real, but you know, he'll have, and he'll have games where, you know, the kind of the infuriating strikeouts, but it's kind of interesting that they're both excelling so far. And they, they like, we expected them to kind of struggle at first and then, you know, overall talent that they would just kind of, you know, progress normally from there. But now they're kind of both producing and it's kind of, hard to gauge as to where they all are because you're right is that they they both have their own warts in terms of like when their tools are playing and how yeah you know even Pache I mean he's striking out at a you know about a I think about a 28 percent clip or something he's hitting like 450 on balls in play now the the, the thing that, that I think has been really positive about Pache in the early going is for a guy who I don't think he'd hit a home run before last year He's already got three home runs. He's slugging 540. He's driving the ball really well. Um, and like I said, I mean, the rest, like, the rest of his tools, like the, 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 the speed and the defense and arm strength are pretty special. So if he, if he just is close to an average hitter, he's going to be really, really good. And I think he can be a, a an above average hitter with, 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 you know, maybe average power. I mean, it's so easy to forget he's just 20. Um, both those guys are really talented. I mean, I, I would think, you know, I mean, if we want to maybe be most realistic, it's probably 2021 before they're fully ready for, you know, full-time duty in the big leagues. But, like, at that point, you know, you'd have Acuna in left, Pache in center, and Waters in right, and Acuna would be the old man at 23. Um, so it's going to be pretty exciting to see those guys. They're definitely exciting for us to watch. So now we have reached the point of the podcast where we get to talk about draft guys, which is something you've been working really hard on recently, uh, to the point where, you know, you're probably tired of having to make various lists and making, you know, having to follow up on, you know, who's going where and all that other good stuff. But obviously the draft is coming up. You're getting a lot of your mock drafts and your mock draft came out fairly recently and you had the Braves picking Shay Langoliers, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Yep. Uh, the catcher out of Baylor. Now, given how early we are in, in the process right now, is that pick for your mock based on where your what information you're seeing about who the Braves are specifically connected to right now or is it more based on kind of an organizational fit uh because there's just not a lot of good concrete information this early well there isn't a lot of good concrete information early a pet peeve of mine with mocks is the mocks that just try to sit there and go oh this team has done this in the past, so they're going to do it again. I mean, teams don't always draft the same way year after year after year. And now, obviously, there's not a lot of concrete information, but like I even like gave a little guide with my mock and said that I felt like I had a pretty good amount of like intel or gossip or whatever you want to call it on the first seven picks, and then a decent amount on eight to twelve, a little bit from thirteen to twenty-one, and then after that, it was kind of throwing some darts, a combination of you know, maybe if if I know the guy's agent, like, hey, which teams are on him, and then trying to cross-reference that with the team, like, hey, not that they know who they're going to pick, but, like, if this play, you know, I'm thinking about giving you guys this guy at pick 27, does that make sense? And if I didn't get a resounding no, it's like, sold. That's that guy I'm putting at 27. So I tried I like to it. at least have a little information. And what's interesting is with the Braves pick, after that came out, I had somebody tell me, Another journalist that talking to people within the Braves organization that they told him that they were very high in Langoliers. So not that I think that's in any way cast in stone, but like I felt even a little bit better about that pick after projecting it or, you know, you know, at nine and, and that would be, you know, it's nine's a tricky spot in this year's draft just from the standpoint of, 
You know, I think you know we were talking. You know, I think before we came on 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 the podcast, you know, I, I, Rutch. You know, the, the top tier is Adley Rutschman, Bobby Witt, Andrew Vaughn, and some teams will put C.J. Abrams there, and some teams wouldn't. And then you know, the second tier would be Abrams if you don't have him in the first tier. Riley Green, J.J. Bleday, and probably Hunter Bishop, and maybe one of the pitchers. Although Nick Ladola hasn't pitched as well recently. So like maybe not. So anyway, that that the, the the first and second tiers kind of have seven or eight players. Like, and I'm talking consensus. I mean, teams will will deviate after you get past the first few guys. So picking at nine, like when I did my mock draft at eight it was, for the Rangers, like, well, there's one guy left in the top tier. I'm giving him to the Rangers. And I think the Braves are you know, like, and maybe if the Braves like another guy or two, maybe their their top two tiers are a little bit bigger than mine. But like, it was a little more difficult. Like I, I've heard. That the Braves like Hunter Bishop. I think there have been mock drafts that a lot of mock drafts that have done that. I just, I don't think Hunter Bishop quite gets to nine. Um, but like, I think Hunter Bishop, the Arizona State outfielder, could be the guy if he got there. And just to give a quick breakdown to your listeners, Langleyers, one of the best defensive catchers in the draft in the last decade or so. Um, he's hitting better this spring. You know, I think you could have average bat, average power, and gold glove defense, which will obviously make him a really good player. Um, you know, Hunter Bishop, really, you know, one of the better athletes in college baseball. He's contending for the NCAA Division One home run lead, and he was a guy who, who people like the tools, but he just didn't have a track record of production. Um, but he's got more discipline this year. He, he's moved to center field and shown he can handle that. So he, he's really jumped up toward the top of the first round. You know, probably more than anybody who was not, you know, real close to that territory. Um, those are the same two, and I think, like we talked before I came on, and I don't have it in front of me, but like, I know Jonathan Mayo, my colleague, had his mock draft out, and did he have the Braves taking Jackson Rutledge? Is that what he had? Uh, yeah, uh, that's where that's where Jonathan had him. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and that that could be too. I mean, it's this is the word if you count a JUCO junior college pitcher, and he's at San Jacinto Junior College in Texas. If you count a JUCO pitcher as a four year college pitcher, even if you do that, <laughs> this is the worst group of college pitching I've seen in like thirty years. Like I, I just it's, don't remember. It's, it's, it's pretty rough. Yeah, and, you know, but Rutledge might have the best stuff on the college side, and, and he's thrown more strikes than expected. He was a guy who didn't pitch a lot at Arkansas. He didn't throw strikes early in his freshman year, and he was, he had some hip injury, a hip injury that kind of sidelined him. But he's been pretty spectacular, and his season's over. They're, they're done. Sanjak is a, a Juco traditional power, but got on probation, I think, for, um, Something to do with letter of, letters of intent or, or base scholarship violations that were apparently inadvertent, but like their season's over because they're not eligible for the JUCO playoffs this year. Um, and, and he's been really, really good. The last, last time I looked, he was in the running to lead the nation junior college pitchers in ERA and strikeouts and, and the stuff's legit. Excellent. Okay, so the next question uh, is going to be coming from Matt. Matt's been spearheading our draft coverage for the last few years now. Uh, he has, there's a prep arm that he has been doing a lot of work on, especially since he's kind of he's, he's in Georgia, and we've been able to get some really good looks at him. And Matt's gotten some really good live looks at him, and he had a question about him to see if you could hopefully give us some insight on. Okay. So one guy that's dropped down your rankings a little bit this spring since the start of the spring is a guy that I went out to see all the way in eastern side of Georgia, Daniel Espino. And I have to admit I was extremely impressed with everything that he had. Can you explain what's caused him to drop? Is this maybe a little bit of prospect fatigue, or is this possibly something else? Yeah, I, I don't think it's prospect fatigue with Daniel. I mean, his stuff, I mean, he's, he's got the best fastball on the high school side. You know, he can hit triple digits. It's 94-97. It's got some good life to it. He can overpower high school hitters with his slider. He's, he's got a hard curveball, too, that's pretty promising. Um, you know, doesn't need to change up very much. The, the reason the, the reason he's not – like I didn't have him in my first round of my mock, although I mentioned that I thought he was more of a candidate to slide a little bit and get paid you know, over slot outside the first round. And, and I think there's two reasons. One, high school right-handers are the demographic that scares teams the most. Um, you know, they, they just feel like they're riskier. They get hurt a lot. They don't pan out as much. And so the high school righties never – I shouldn't say never. High school righties usually – are ranked higher in the media than they go in the draft, if that makes sense. Um, so that was that, that, that's a factor. And then two, the, a lot of teams, as great as the arm is, and it's a great arm, I think a lot of teams look at Daniel Espino and see a future reliever. I think he's listed at six foot two, two hundred. I don't know if people really, but I think they think he's closer to six feet. Um, you know, the arm works pretty well. 
but it's a really long arm action. So guys, get a good look at the ball. Um, there's not a lot of projection there. Um, the stuff's really good, but I think you have teams that are on the fence and, and they're like starter reliever, you know, and he's a high school righty. So I think that's why he's not necessarily projected to go as high in drafts as he is in the rankings. Now all that said, with the draft, it only takes one team. And it's very possible that there's a team picking in the twenties that really likes Daniel Spino and, and will pounce on him. But and I won't claim like that's a part of the draft where nobody knows who they're picking yet or who's going to get there or what exactly it's going to cost to sign a guy. Um, I will not claim to have great detailed knowledge of how the 20s and, and the early 30s are going to unfold. So it's very possible he could go in the first round. I just know when I was kind of trying to sound out as much as I could that um, – that a lot of teams I was talking to that were picking down there were, were projecting him as more of a reliever and weren't necessarily looking to take a high school righty that high. All right. Uh, Garab, we, I think you kind of talked a little bit about one of the guys that we were kind of talking about with our next question. But, Garab, you had a question a bit about kind of what uh, a type of prospect that you're kind of hoping for, if not at 9, maybe at 21. Yeah, so two years ago I fell in love with Joe Adele and, like, pretty much his perfect game page. Like I remember just checking it out and he was like in the 99th percentile for pretty much everything. Uh, is there a similar player in this draft that has, you know, that super raw, but crazy tool set, uh, like pretty much anywhere in this draft? No, I mean, high school wise. No, I mean, there's guys who have interesting tools, like like guys who'd be available maybe at 21. Like I don't think there's a guy like that who you would take at nine. I mean, Hunter Bishop has pretty interesting tools, um, but I just don't think he's going to quite get there. You know, at 21 on the high school side, like Reese Hines will probably be there. He's got maybe the best raw power in the draft, um, but there's a lot of swing and miss. I, I don't, I think, I don't think you'd want to take him at 21. If you want to just talk, you know, crazy tools, there's Jerry and Ely. From Mississippi, a high school outfielder who's a five-star running back recruit who's going to Ole Miss. But he hasn't a great spring, and I just think there's a ton of risk in the bat. Um, he's not tearing up Mississippi high school competition, which is pretty bad. Um, so I just don't think like, – like with the spring he's had and what would it cost to buy him away from football, that would frighten me. Um, the guy who would be interesting – one of my, my favorite players in draft, I can't quite figure out what to do with him, is Cameron Meisner from Missouri who – is 6'4", 220, probably well above average raw power, plus run, plus arm, solid center fielder, probably plus right fielder if you put him there. He draws a ton of walks, and he's just having a horrible year in the SEC. He's hitting like – I don't even know if he's up to 200 in the SEC right now. Um, and he got off to a great start. And I just – you know, the tool – his tools should – like his tools should have him in contention – for the, the number nine overall pick for the Braves, but the way he's, he's played in SEC play, and he's been a little better recently, um, like you could say he maybe shouldn't go 21. Um, so he's, he's a guy who'd be pretty interesting if he was there at 21. I just can't figure out where exactly he's going to go because his year's been so weird. A guy that has been kind of a pop-up guy, at least for like some mock drafts and in like some publications, has been I think Keone Cavaco. I think is his, how you pronounce his name. Is he a guy that kind of fits that sort of mold too, or is he kind of is he kind of popped up and now kind of like fallen back a bit? No, he he's in there. I don't think he's for every team, but I mean, and I think I, I, you know it's interesting because Jonathan and I split the country. He's California. I think it's Cavaco. Um, but I was because I, I was pronouncing it Cavaco or Cavaco for a while, and I think it's Cavaco. But um. He's got some of the best power in the draft. He's got a chance to be a plus third baseman. I mean, to to put him in a Braves context, like you could maybe that guy becomes Austin Riley, what Austin Riley's become. Um, you know, with like better defense at third. Um, so yeah, I think you know th- this is one that one of the other challenges for doing mocks, especially this early in this draft where the talent's just kind of okay. It's hard to come up with 34 pit, you know, 34 guys right. that you're like, you're like, okay, this guy, these are 34 definite first rounders. I don't think there are 34 definite first rounders. There will be 34 first round picks made. And I, and I think that, 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 that Cavico is definitely in that mix. He, he, he's another guy who, who's really jumped up a lot. There's another, 
you know, he maybe has a chance to stay at shortstop. I think most teams project him at third base, but give him a greater chance to play shortstop than they did, a, 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 you know, coming into the year. But another guy who's kind of in that same mold as Gunnar Henderson from Alabama is also a guy who I, I think is playing his way into the first round as well. Awesome. All right. Uh, another name that you mentioned in your mock is one that Matt has a question about because he's risen up quite a bit. Go ahead, Matt. So one guy that's really come up from the more of the later first round at the start of the spring is West Virginia's Alec Manoa. And I know that there's been some links to him with the Braves at nine. What What is it about him that you think makes him a top ten worthy pick? And to see more of a top ten worthy pick this year just because of the lack of pitching? Or do you actually buy into him being a normal top ten type of talent? Yeah, I mean, I think he's in that third tier, you know, which begins with about the ninth player. Um, and, and I think it's legit. I mean, I do think, I do think he's helped. Not that teams are going to say, oh, I, I got to definitely take a college pitcher here, but teams do want college. I mean, you never have enough pitching. The college guys are considered less risky than the high school guys. You had three more years where they've stayed healthy in most cases, and they're going to move quicker. So generally, uh, and, and I think, it helps him that he's one of the best college pitchers. He was on a really good roll, like he was dominant. I think like like 49 strikeouts and one run in 33 innings. And then he pitched against Nick Lodolo, who's one of the other top college pitchers in his last start last Friday. And he didn't pitch as great in front of a huge crowd. You know, he's interesting because you know, after you get you, you start to get down from the top of the draft, you get, you get a little bit more variety of opinions on guys. I think everybody likes the fact that. You know, he's, you know, it's a mid-90s fastball. It's a dominant slider. He's had a great year and he he was really on a roll. But you do get some guys who wonder, you know, it's a big body. It's not the the most firmed up body in the world. He's 6'6", 260. Um, you know, and you get some guys, and now granted, this is, you could say this about almost any pitcher, but you get guys who are like, ah, I think he's more of a reliever. Um, and that's all in the eye of the, eye of the beholder. But, you know, he, he was, he was great last summer. He led the Cape League in strikeouts. Um, and, you know, he's shown a change up at, at times. He hasn't needed a lot this spring. So I, I think it's legit. Um, you know, I haven't pinned down. You know, do the Braves see him as more starter than reliever? That that would kind of, if if that's the case, then yeah, I think he'd be he'd definitely be in their mix. And you know, he it'll be interesting because I'll circle back and start working on the mock again after this weekend. And I'd be curious, like if he has a so-so start, like how much his stock will will drop relatively? You know, just because he was so great for four starts, and then if he has two that are that, that are lackluster, but he's he's legitimately put himself in that mix. And I don't think it's just like oh. You know, the college pitching's bad. He's been legitimately good. So I have a more general question, and I I think I kind of already know the answer, but we get asked enough that it's worth kind of just talking about out loud. The Braves have, a, I think, the sixth highest bonus pool in this draft, and we've seen uh, at least previous administrations of the Braves, you know, try to do bonus pool shenanigans with, you know, moving money around to lower picks. Uh, do you see the Braves as potentially exploring that type of, you know, moving bonus pool money a little bit lower in the draft? Or is the presence of other teams in particular, like the Diamondbacks, who both have a ton of money and a ton of picks, at making that pretty unlikely? Yeah, I mean, I think you explore it. But I think, I mean, when they pick at nine, there's going to be a guy they really like. And I just don't think, I, I, I think, like, not every team would necessarily agree with me. But, like, to me, I think you just got to take who you think the best player is. And you take that guy at nine, and you take that guy at 20 wins. Now, like, like if – and I'm just using Shea Langoliers as an example because I projected him to brace taking him. If you, like, really like Shea Langoliers, but he has, like, some crazy bonus demand, that's say he wants $6 million, and you're like, well, we're not going to do that, and you don't think he's going to back it up, and it ties your hands because even if you sign him for less, if he signs at the last second, you can't give the money to other guys. Like, maybe you pass on him in that case. But I just think you've got to take the best player in the first round, whether you're picking nine or 21. And it's one thing, like now, if you, like for instance, I, well, I brought up Cameron Meisner, who's had this weird year. And maybe they just love Cameron Meisner and they think they can, they, they, they know what's going to unlock him. And you take Cameron Meisner at nine and you get a discount. Like that's great. But I don't think you can sacrifice, uh, taking the best player you know, for a big discount, because also for the reason you said, that the Diamondbacks have picks everywhere and they have the largest bonus pool. So there's no guarantee that the guy you want to fall 
to you is going to fall to your later picks. And like, you know, in the first round, like, I don't know why you would want to make a guy fall to 21. Just take him at nine. Like, like, it's not like you're going to get like a good guy at nine and, and, you know, presto change You're going to make a guy fall to 21. And the Dimebacks <laughs> pick, the Dimebacks pick 16. So let's, uh, I'll just come up with like a goof example. Let's say the Braves like CJ Abrams and for some reason he's dropping and the Braves are like, well, you know, we'll sign him, but we're going to wait till pick 21. Well, what if the Diamondbacks take him at pick 16 and they got more money than you? So I, I just don't think you can do that. I think it's more likely that if you're picking at the very top of the draft, you know, as great as Adley Rutschman is, the Orioles aren't going to give him $8.4 million, which is their full slot. You know, he's going to get seven or seven and a half, and they're going to have a million and a million and a half to play with. Like, you do that, but like, it's not, I don't think, like, and you hear talk, oh, the Orioles might explore doing this or that. I, I just don't think when you do that, you, what you wind up doing is you compromise the quality of the first pick and you take a huge risk that you know, the guy you want is going to get to your second pick or third pick or whatever. That makes a ton of sense to me. I mean, the, the, what the Braves did with Ian Anderson and then fu- subsequently with Joey Wentz and Kyle Muller, that was kind of like a perfect storm of events where they were like in a demographic of which is high school pitching where they could kind of get away with it. Yeah. And they also exactly. had a, and they had a ton of money. So it, it and they liked Ian Anderson. That's the thing to remember too is they, they liked Ian Anderson. It wasn't like they're like, well, we're going to take a guy we think is the 25th best, 25th best player in the draft. Uh, you know, and put him at three. They really liked Ian Anderson. And it's just like when the, when the Astros took Carlos Correa, yeah, they saved money because, like, I think the agent kind of misevaluated where he was going to go in the draft. Like, I think there's a very good chance the Twins actually might have taken him at two if he hadn't gone one. Like, if, if, if the Astros had taken Byron Buxton, who would have been their plan C after Correa was their plan B, then I think the Twins might have taken Carlos Correa too. And had the agent known that, he wouldn't have agreed to sign in for $4.8 million. Um, but it right. wasn't that the Astros were like, oh, we're going to get cute. They really liked Carlos Correa, who had like just unbelievable workouts for everybody. And then that allowed them to do some things. So that's the Ian Anderson. You know, I'll give you another perfect another example, although the other picks haven't worked out as great. But Kyle Schwarber was that way for the Cubs at four in, in 2015. That, yes – you know, they, they pushed Kyle Schwarber. They took Kyle Schwarber earlier than a lot of teams would have. And, you know, they got, they, they got a discount and then they used it on high school pitching. And the best of those guys is probably Dylan Cease, who they traded. But again, they liked Kyle Schwarber. It wasn't like, well, you know, we have this guy ranked as 15th best player in the draft. We'll push him up. And so like, you always see that type of stuff speculated for the teams at the very top this time of year. Like, oh, you know, hey, what if the, what if the, Orioles take Hunter Bishop and, you know, sign him for four and a half million or five million dollars. I think in the end, they're not going to do that. It's like, if you could get that perfect storm where there's a guy you like and you can get a discount, that's great. But I think you focus on the guy you like first. I couldn't agree more. All right. Before we let you go, Matt just has one question and then we'll let you talk about what you have coming up for MLB pipeline. Go ahead, Matt. So I had a question about another guy that I saw when I was down in Georgia, and it's a guy who had a very poor showing in the Cape last summer, but it seems like his hit tool has improved significantly this spring. Clemson shortstop Logan Davidson. What do you think about him and his chances to hit based on what he's shown in the past versus what he's showing now, and how do those weigh against each other? Yeah, he's, he's a tough one too. Um, I, I think he'll, he'll, you know, it's a pretty good year for college shortstops and he can stay at shortstop and I think he goes in the 20s somewhere. And if he went a little higher than that, it wouldn't shock me because if you really like him, you could go plus run, plus arm, plus raw power, stay at shortstop, you know, switch hitter. But it's tough because, you know, he's, he's had success with metal. It's, it's been more hit over, I mean, more power over hit even with metal bats. But, you know, in, in two and a half years, you know, with the with the Tigers, or a little bit more than two and a half years, he's got a 920 ops and 38 home runs. <laughs> and two summers in the Cape, he's hit 570 with three home runs. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, he's he's got a 570 ops. It's a little different than hitting 570. Um, and, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, and so, like, it's – like, there are a lot of guys who saw him struggle with wood and are worried about that. And – I think the I think one thing everybody would agree on is that if you're grading them out, the hit tool is going to get the lowest grade of all those tools. Um, if you believe in him, you know you could probably go 50 hit and, and maybe dream that he gets to most of that 60 raw power. You know maybe he's a 260 hitter with 25 homers and 
you know, you know, you know, can run and, and play shortstop. So yeah, you know, but he's, he'll go in the twenties and maybe even a little higher, like I said, but he's hard to figure out because I, I don't think, I don't think anybody feels like it's a slam dunk he's going to hit. And obviously if you don't hit, you don't play at the big league level. So he's one that teams are really trying to figure out. All right, Jim, that is all the questions we had. Greatly appreciate you taking the time to answer our questions. Really, truly do. Uh, I know you've had a uh, pipeline and MLB.com has had a lot of interesting stuff go up, go up recently and have a lot of things in, uh, kind of in the works. So go ahead and let our listeners know what you guys have coming up. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. You know, the website's MLBpipeline.com. The nice thing is all the content's free. There's nothing behind a paywall. Um, you know, we're obviously doing a lot of draft stuff right now. We'll have a new mock draft every week. We're in the middle of expanding our draft top 100 to a top 200. And we have video and scouting reports and grades uh, on all those guys. Um, so that, that's kind of my, my big focus right now. Um, you know, we're, we're still ranking minor league prospects and updating the prospect list as guys graduate to the big leagues. Next week we'll have a, what we internally call market corrections where we'll shift a bunch of guys around on the top 100 to kind of reflect what we're hearing and, and, and what guys are doing this year. And then, you know, we're, we're not only previewing the draft stuff, Jesse Sanchez, our international guru just came out with his top 30 list, which has video and scattering reports and a bunch of features and all that's on the website. So the, the easiest way to check that out is at MLBpipeline.com. And I try to tweet and retweet a lot of this stuff at, at my Twitter account at Jim Callis MLB. Um, but it, it feels like kind of 24 seven, uh, draft and prospect coverage, uh, right now. And you know, the good thing is, uh, I enjoy it, I, 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 which is a good thing, because if I didn't enjoy it, I think I'd, I'd be going insane right now, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's definitely something you have to be passionate about, because not only is it a lot of work, but it's also something that people will get very, very angry at you about if you don't like their guy or that you don't have the same thoughts about the, their guys that they do. Uh, and it's something that we've had, got to experience just on a one team level. I can't imagine every team in the, every team's fan bases in the league, you know, coming after you constantly. It, it blows my mind what you guys do, the amount of work you guys do. And we really, truly appreciate it. And it, and it goes for all the national level writers. All of you guys are just unbelievable. So. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, I think the best way to deal with the, with the fans is just not to take it personally. I mean, I always find it fascinating where, you know, when we rank farm systems, everybody who's not ranked number one, you know, their fans feel like their team's ranked too low, or even like if you have a, you know, just using the Braves, I'll give you a great farm system for the Braves, and you have all these great prospects in the system, and guys get angry, like, oh, you know, how can Drew Waters be ranked eighth in the system? Well, it's like, Somebody's got to be eighth. Like, you know, it's like we're not, you know, we, we like Drew Waters where we say a lot of nice things about him. You know, I mean, well, when, he's actually going to move up when we do some adjustments. But, like, you can only do so much. I mean, you, you know, if this team has eight, you know, like I think the Braves right now, we have eight top 100 prospects um, on our overall top 100 of Braves. Well, somebody's got to rank eighth. Like, it doesn't mean we don't like the guy. So, but, uh, yeah, you just learn not to take that stuff personally. I love it, man. Well, greatly appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy guy, so we'll let you go. Make sure you follow along for the po- uh, on the podcast at Road the Number Two Atlanta, uh, where you can see new podcast new, when new episodes go up. Uh, it's on the same uh, feed of for subscribing to the Talking Chop podcast, so you get two podcasts for one on the subscription. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. We greatly appreciate all the support all over the years, um, in particular as we've relaunched the podcast. And until next time, guys, we'll see you on the road.